Hello, and welcome to Risk Chats. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today, we speak with the Chief Risk Officer at the OCC, Bill Rowe. We're going to talk about how ERM got started there, how they're developing their uh, risk appetite statement. Actually, it's already been developed, it's come out, and it's been iterated a couple times. Um, just kind of what's the next steps for, for this agency and some of their unique mission. So without further ado, let's talk to Bill. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Very happy to have today with us uh, Mr. Bill Rowe from the OCC. We're going to be talking about their risk management program, but uh, first let me introduce Tal, our co-host. Good morning. All right. So Bill, good morning. How are you doing? I'm fine, Paul and Tal. Uh, good morning to you both. Okay. Well, why don't we start off just a little bit uh, about yourself and then all about right. your agency. What makes you a kind of what unique risks you you all may have over there? Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, I'm the chief risk officer for the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency. It's a job that I've held since uh, 2017. Uh, technically speaking, I, I came into the OCC as a bank examiner hmm. uh, and have had an interesting career there. Um, the OCC is a federal bank regulator, uh, which mission includes uh, evaluating risks in the banks that we supervise. Now, uh, it may be a little-known fact that uh, the OCC supervises almost 70% of the nation's commercial banking assets. Hmm. Um, and uh, our mission goes all the way back to uh, the Civil War, believe it or not, uh, when uh, Abraham Lincoln uh, and uh, uh, various members of his cabinet saw the need to uh, do two things. One, to establish a common form of currency for the United States, and two, to finance the Civil War. Now, we don't issue currency anymore, um, but we supervise banks. Um, our staff is charged with identifying and evaluating risks in the banks and executing supervisory strategies that focus on areas of higher risk in the institutions. Uh, Interestingly, that probably made the adoption of an enterprise risk management program uh, in the OCC kind of a natural evolution uh, in our thinking because we were looking at risks in our institutions. So fine, let's look at the risks that affect our own enterprise. Right. Yeah. So was it the financial crisis also one of those things that led you guys to think more about this? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's a very good segue. Um, as a result of the financial crisis, uh, the uh, comptroller of the currency at that point was uh, Mr. Tom Curry, um, who was also previously a board member over at the FDIC. He saw the need to uh, have us take a look at ourselves to see what could we have done better uh, through the financial crisis. And he uh, commissioned uh, a study by uh, a group of international uh, uh, peer regulators, mm -hmm. uh, and we call it our peer review, international peer review. Out of that came a number of recommendations, one of which was to uh, bolster our National Risk Committee, which looks at risks in the institutions, uh, in the banking sector, um, but also to form uh, an enterprise risk management group to look at ourselves. On the overall mission and on the overall agency structure, were there any major changes after 
the uh, financial crisis? Uh, I would say no. Okay. Um, you know, every comptroller brings in uh, new sure. ideas, mm-hmm. so uh, uh, there, you know, there are usually some organizational adjustments that occur as a result of that. Yeah, management, management focus priorities, but no, no wholesale additions of mission by Congress or tre- or by Treasury. No new wholesale plug-in organizations to do the new mission? Well, like I would that. say the biggest thing that happened was the uh, Office of Thrift Supervision was merged into the OCC mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. as a result of uh, the Dodd-Frank Act. Right. Right. And responsibility for supervising um, federal savings associations was uh, now part of uh, the OCC mission. Right. Okay. Gotcha. So I guess really the question is, who specifically, how did you get this thing going? Was it a top-down, bottom-up? I mean, were the executive folks really in, in support of this? Or? Yeah, great question. Yeah. Uh, it was absolutely a top-down okay. uh, initiative uh, with uh, the wholehearted support of the comptroller, uh, Mr. Curry, mm-hmm. uh, at the time. And a group was uh, formulated to uh, stand this thing up. Um, and. They did it. Um, started in about 2015, uh, and it was fully operational by about 2016. Now I'm the second uh, chief risk officer, okay. um, and I took assumed that job in in 2017. Uh, Mr. Odding, who is now the uh, current comptroller of the currency, uh, you know, a former banker. Uh, it's interesting that, that one of the things that we as an agency supervising our banks encouraged banks to do was to set up a chief risk officer position. Mm-hmm. So in a way, what we found was, hey, uh, good for the goose is good for the gander. Right. Um, and Mr. Odding was very supportive. I mean, he had such a, a program within the institutions that he oversaw as a, a chief executive right. uh, and as now the uh, the head of the agency you know he's very supportive of, of uh, the the, uh, the enterprise risk management function okay yeah I've heard that actually a couple of those points I've heard a lot from the agencies that are doing this successfully is that it was really an executive decision it was a very much a very enthusiastic person at the top that made this thing right. really work well, if we're asking our banks to do it, why aren't we asking ourselves? And that was number two, right. So right. agencies that regulate or, you know, have these inherent risks for their grantees or their whatever, they're like, well, we got to do this too. And right. IG's office is the same thing. It's hearing yeah. a lot of that now too. Exactly. Like the financial and the loan mm-hmm. guarantees, those those pieces of the federal agencies really do seem yeah. to be out front. Yeah. Well, I mean, FSA was one of the first right. ones because right. all the student loan and all this, this huge portfolio, right? right. So it makes sense. Right. Well, and, and the other thing I think that we have in, in terms of support for this program is that uh, uh, the chief risk officer reports directly to the comptroller right. uh, and good. is a part of his executive management team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you that's got to be key to success right there. Right. So, uh, you know, something we thought we'd talk with you about, uh, you guys have a, a great risk appetite statement, and it's still a little bit rare in the government for, uh, you know, agencies to not only do them, but publicize them. So uh, we'd love to hear a little bit about how that all came about. Well, uh, thank you. Uh, that was, a, I think, a, a very interesting debate within the organization once we created uh, our first uh, risk appetite statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's become pretty clear to us that uh, the, the statement itself is a, is a very good foundation roadmap for the entire ERM program uh, and, and actually helps guide risk discussions uh, at, at all levels of the agency, but especially at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, 
It's a guardrail uh, against which we measure our decisions, including strategic goals and initiatives. Um, when it was first developed in 2016, uh, there was this debate, as I mentioned, as to whether or not we should publish it externally. And I think the thought was, look, we ought to have some transparency on this and show people what we're doing, especially as a result of the fact that we had commissioned this international peer review. Um, so the decision was made to make it publicly available. And I think we were probably one of the first, if if maybe the only federal agency at the time that Might had be. done that. Mm -hmm. You know, they, there's an old ancient curse, may you live in interesting times. So that when you say it was an interesting debate, uh, yeah, could you, could you share a couple of points? Because really, I mean, the risk appetite is the least implemented portion of the standard federal ERM structure throughout the federal government. Right. So there are probably, if there, if there is a conversation, they're probably all interesting. Can you share some of the interesting dynamics with well, us? Well, I, I, let me just say it this way. Words matter. Right. And, and what you put on paper uh, yeah. is somewhat yeah. cast in stone. Yep. So uh, yeah. the, the wording was you know, very carefully looked at uh, right. to make sure that it had the appropriate tone uh, and tenor uh, and got the message across. All right. Yeah. So uh, again, so what what did you all take into consideration when you when you put this together? I mean, how, how did you really pick these areas, these categories? I mean, just kind of going back a little bit. Um, you know, I, I th that's a very good question. I mean, we as as a bank supervisor have um, a supervision a supervision by risk approach, mm -hmm. and so we look at various. Uh, risk categories within right. within our banks. And so we realized that we needed to have <clears throat> risk categories that are you know impactful for the agency. Uh, and as a result of the stand-up, we, we came up with, with nine risk categories. Right. Don't ask me to rattle them off all now, right. but uh, <laughs> uh, they are on our risk uh, appetite statement. Um, and from there, uh, we started fleshing out uh, potential risks to the agency, right. risk issues, risk concerns that fall underneath those risk definitions. Right. So the question is, is how did we do that? Mm -hmm. um, and one question I would have, Bill, is you, know, you, you guys picked nine. And, and just like the wording was very specific and intentional, so would be these nine categories. Sometimes you glue things together. Sometimes you break them out. Sometimes you don't put them on the list. So it'd be interesting to hear a little bit about, you know, for, for other folks who are, who are in the process of going through this, right. what, are, what, were some of the, what were some of the learning events that you had for identifying a function, combining a function, breaking one out, or leaving it off? Well, I, I think one of the, 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 the learning issues was that uh, within, say, our risk categories uh, and, and looking at kind of the things that uh, might be a risk driver, um, there are some that we would consider, you know, more important than others. Um, and we kind of had to, to decide, all right, are we willing to accept maybe a, a high, moderate, or mm -hmm. low level of risk in each of these categories? And we finally settled on mostly moderate and low. Um, I think our discussion around low initially was, <clears throat> well, we want no risk. Mm -hmm. And that became kind of a debate because you really, can you wring all of the risk out? Um, probably not. Right. There's always a level of of residual risk after you apply risk controls. Um, 
in terms of uh, you know looking at, at a higher risk uh, situation, that might be something where we'd be willing to take a little more risk uh, for an opportunity. Right. Um, right. That will pay benefits to the agency. Now, when when you were developing this, usually it would seem from from what we have been experiencing that high risk statement is often the place where senior leaders say, I want to see substantial performance gains or something new, uh, a, a cultural change in the way they've been doing business. Is uh, right. Was that part of your conversation as you developed it? Um, I, I think so. You know, again, uh, you know, back to kind of the looking at the wording. I mean, we, we, we've kind of defined high risk now as a flexible approach to, with a higher possibility of failure. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. clearly something mm-hmm. that could happen. But it may be also something where we're willing to tolerate certain uh, uncertain outcomes to achieve mission goals and objectives uh, and willing to take a risk when there are long-term benefits that are foreseeable and outweigh the risks. Right. Um, so it's kind of a trade-off. Uh, at this point, we don't have anything where we're willing to take... Uh, that a, risk posture. Uh, that yeah, risk posture. Risk. Right. right, right. Exactly. Well, so, and also, I mean, I think it's fair to say it's good that you have on here. Some things are, you know, a lot of, a lot of things are low, but a lot of things are moderate. I mean, there are no high, but there's a lot of moderate because, you know, I mean, you've only got so many resources to deal with things, right? So it's impossible to everything to be super low appetite. And, and right. then even yeah. within a industry sectors, each industry sector is going to look different. Usually programmatic areas within an agency where there's a, where it's a service orientation is usually where they're looking to take a more higher risk posture to get some yeah. gains. Right. If bankers are buttoned down, one would imagine <laughs> their banking regulator agency might be at least as buttoned down in terms of as a culture and, and the mission sector of the industry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Indeed. So let's uh, turn a little bit here to talk about risk and strategy. Uh, I think some of the things you guys are doing there are very interesting. I'd like to share that with our audience here. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you guys approach that? Well, the you know our approach differs maybe from uh, that of, of other agencies where uh, you know risk and strategy are all in one unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we separated the two, and that mm-hmm. was a decision at the controller's level, which made a lot of sense because I think you want to have the chief risk officer and, and ERM kind of as an independent view mm-hmm. uh, and a separate strategy section uh, to develop the work to develop a strategic plan. Now, it was the, uh, the controller and the executive committee at OCC that developed our strategic plan, but we see uh, a synergy, uh, a need to integrate strategy and risk. I mean, as you're developing certain strategies, you want to have a gauge of what risks you might be taking to achieve that strategic objective right? uh, and whether or not it's outside of your risk appetite. Uh, I can tell you that uh, uh, I've been witness and participated in in several debates uh, about uh, certain initiatives where, yes, the risk discussion comes up and and is thoroughly wrung out. And in some cases, the decision is not to go forward with something because of uh, the concern over uh, a higher level of risk, mm-hmm. which is, I think, you know, what what the whole idea of the risk appetite statement is, is to provide kind of a set of guardrails mm-hmm. um, as to, you know, are we getting a little off the road here and, and maybe going to run into the ditch? No, we don't want to do that. Um, OCC has strategic planning and strategic plan? We do. 
And so if it follows the, you guys follow the OMBA 11 standard framework? Yes, we do. So then with, with these obstacles and risks and opportunities that are listed in a strategic plan, right alongside a, you know, a CBJ presentation where there's obstacles and challenge listed, listed by each performance area, that you're, you're saying use this risk appetite statement that shows the risk posture for each of these functional areas that are both in a strategic plan and then in the performance plans to say, is this, does this correlate with our senior leader's policy on risk posture? We, we use the risk appetite to provide a gauge there. Yeah. And uh, as we evaluate performance under the uh, strategic plan, uh, the Enterprise Risk Management Group provides a, a, a view as to you know, whether or not we remain within risk appetite and whether there's, there are some mm -hmm. things that we need to be mindful of uh, as possible uh, risks that, uh, as we're moving forward uh, towards our, our objectives. Uh, I think one of the things that we want to see happen too, and we're working on this uh, with our counterparts in the strategic uh, planning area, is to continue to integrate uh, risk and strategy uh, and uh, I think eventually what we want to get to as well is as we develop our budget for the coming year, we want to look at, all right, are there certain strategic initiatives that we want to uh, put on the plate uh, to deal with certain emerging risks and what do we need to factor into our budget um, to yeah. deal with that? Underneath right. your definitions, you actually talk for each risk posture about trade-offs. So obviously, you just talked about resource trade-offs. Are there other trade-offs that that you intend in those definitions? Um, I, I, you know, there obviously there are resource trade-offs. There are uh, you know strategy trade-offs too. I mean, right. you, you you in a way you might triage things and say, well, maybe this isn't something we need to do now because we should be attending management to priorities and focuses right. and exactly. oversight efforts right. and gotcha. Yeah. So uh, now I, I understand you guys do collaborate or you know meet a lot with other similar agencies, regulatory agencies. Um, so what what have you guys done in the nature of that? You know, I think you guys have had some conferences and things to talk about risk with other similar agencies. We have. Uh, we put together a, a first and foremost. We put together a CRO group uh, from the uh, the federal regulatory area, mm -hmm. uh, Fed, FDIC, CFTC, NCUA, ourselves. Uh, and that's been very interesting to kind of share uh, concerns over uh, areas of, of risk uh, and how we are you know, looking at our risk appetite statements. Several of them are in the process of developing risk appetite statements, so they're mm -hmm. maybe not as far along as, as we are, um, right. which is, I think, you know, helpful for all of us to share you know, uh, our experiences and how we're developing. Um, you know, I would say that in, in looking at this thing, not only participating with the federal regulatory group, but also as a, as a member of the Treasury uh, CRO Council, um, common areas of risk, what are they? Cybersecurity, human capital, mm -hmm. workforce planning, mm -hmm. um, technology infrastructure, and obsolescence. Those are kind of three biggies right. that we're all dealing with in terms of managing risk and looking at strategies to and objectives to achieve you know improved goals in those areas 
so this is very interesting. This is a so this CRO council essentially sort of, sort of like the CFO councils and other similar ones. Exactly. That, how often do you all come together and, and you know? Well, I think we've we've kind of set it as a, a, a every other month thing. Oh, wow. okay. uh, now the strategy we have another one that we've put together uh, called the strategy uh, and and uh, risk group, hmm. um, which brought together the strategic planning folks as well as chief risk officers or risk officers in a, in a variety of agencies, mostly the federal regulatory agencies. Mm -hmm. uh, and that has helped us have discussions about integrating strategy and risk. Um, we had our inaugural one of those in the fall. Uh, we're going to do it, we agreed to do it every six months. So we've got another one coming up here soon. Okay, yeah. Well, because I'm looking for some more podcast guests, so <laughs> I, have to, I have to call the group here. How's, right. like you, you say the council members, many of them are developing risk appetite statements now. When did you initially develop the OCC statement and how static has that policy been? Right, okay. So, uh, good question. Uh, the, the OCC statement kind of dates back to the stand-up uh, in 2015 and the first one was issued in 2016. Uh, when I uh, took the, uh, the role here in 2017, uh, I felt like it was time for us to do an update However, uh, we had a new comptroller coming in in uh, November of 2017, and it seemed to me to uh, kind of time that uh, after he got on board and got his feet down on the ground and you know settled into the OCC. So we actually started working on it in 2018. Mm -hmm. And in my conversations with him, it was very interesting. Uh, what, what we were thinking of doing uh, another bottom-up risk evaluation where we go to our you know our next level executives and and uh, sort of survey them uh, on their views of risks to the enterprise um, but in talking with the comptroller um, he really wanted to understand uh, where we were so we could learn where we need to be mm -hmm. uh, which was then turned into a top-down uh, you know, assessment right. uh, involving the controller and uh, his executive management team, which was really worthwhile. Mm -hmm. So you're just, when he says he wants to understand where he is, so he has opportunity to determine where he wants to take the agency, you're saying the risk appetite statement is is like an implementing tool to, to shape manage, mm -hmm. uh, the management culture to make decisions at the agency? Uh, How... How, I would, how is it how is it a forward-looking right, policy implement? Time. What, what we wanted to understand at that point was what is the level of residual risk mm -hmm. um, through our nine risk categories right okay so the assessment that was done at that point was basically a residual risk assessment mm -hmm. what's the level of residual risk from there the evaluation was all right what do we want to do about that level of residual risk? And, and just real quick, Bill, when you say, for the listeners, what do you say assessing in the nine different categories residual risk, you on a category by category basis go through what, the identification and uh, the assessment of probability and impact and then examine the controls and then say this, based on the controls, this is our residual assessment as, as at a detailed right. risk level for each category yes. area, is that is that what it was? Exactly. Okay. Right. 
Well, I think I have a couple more questions for you here. Um, I'm interested to see what you guys are looking to do next for your program particularly, but also uh, I think you guys are working some things in that council, like the maturity model. So maybe right. just those two areas, if you don't right. mind okay. touching on. So for our program, um, I, you know, we're, we're looking ahead to 2020. Uh, one of the things that we've been building out is our risk indicators. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's not really a balanced scorecard thing. It's it's a, a set of indicators that uh, will inform our management as to where we might need to have a conversation mm -hmm. if something is starting to push a little further out than we would like. Right. Um, and and I think that's a it's, it's really good thing to have. Um, initially, when the program was started, we had more of a maybe a balanced scorecard approach to this, and we've kind of moved to. Uh, a set of risk indicators that are uh, key to each of the nine risk categories. Right. Um, so we're we're continuing to to flesh them out. Um, that that's a that is a challenging assignment. Yes. Um, and I've had conversations with my FIREA <laughs> counterparts about what are you all doing in this area? Right. And, their, and their answer is, I don't know. What are you doing? What are you doing? So that's right. that's the challenge <laughs> is. Right. Uh, how do you how do you measure how you're doing in a way? Do you have a profile uh, that is a subset of the dirty dozen or something like that of the of a of actual specific risks that are considered high severity that you highlight as the agency profile? Um, we're looking very heavily at our our human capital workforce planning area and mm -hmm. have some indicators there with mm -hmm. respect to the composition of our workforce mm -hmm. and so forth and so on. Of course, you know, uh, what we do is examine banks, so clearly we want to make sure we have enough of those resources right. mm -hmm. uh, and continue to fill up the pipeline, so we're watching that very carefully. Uh, the you know on the on the bank supervision side, uh, what we're trying to to develop there is a set of forward-looking indicators, and I think you know going back to the international peer review, uh, mm -hmm. and the reason for that, looking at what happened during the crisis, forward-looking risk indicators in the area of supervision risk are, are I think critically important. Uh, you want to try and get ahead of the game, and see if you can as a as a federal regulator. Uh, turn the ship um, right. to, to keep it in the, in, in the right direction. Um, the uh, trying to think the, the uh, I think the other thing that uh, you mentioned was the uh, maturity model. Yes, and that is something that's been going on uh, in in dialogue with uh, the uh, uh, ERM community of practice, mm -hmm. uh, which is a larger group than just the Treasury CRO Council. Mm -hmm. And when I say larger group, I'm talking 45 different agencies: <laughs> um, Navy, DoD, NASA, us, bureaus from Treasury. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a pretty big group, right? Uh, and the IG is there too. The the uh, Council of IGs okay. um, have a role in this. Um, looking at a one twenty three, uh, which the OCC uh, is not required to follow us uh, a a one twenty three, but we do in spirit, right? Um, and uh, I would say my, my comparator on uh, the draft maturity model right now is that it's very similar to uh, what's done with uh, the FISMA um, mm -hmm. maturity. Cyber school things, yes, yeah. Right, right. yeah. Um, 
very, very similar. So you're looking mm -hmm. at levels and where are you on that continuum. Right. Um, so now, like there's there's a strategic uh, management professional group. Often there's a performance management professional group that is separate from strategic management and then a resource management group which may be related but often similar such you have these three stovepipes working together but often stovepiped and with the ERM uh, implementation coming out in the last couple of years what do you see it, it, since we're talking about maturity models how is it in your experience and how would you foresee ERM helping integrate these functions and then the risk appetite statement that you have, how, how does that in particular maybe uh, influence that? Well, I, I would say that uh, in, in, in the way I've approached the CRO program, and I think others have too, is that uh, you know, we work our way through the entire organization. We look at uh, the organization broadly. Um, we have, through our framework, set up points of contact with each of the lines of business and that's kind of a mm -hmm. way of, of tying everything together um, so that we're not in a stovepiped uh, situation um, and everyone kind of has an idea of what's going on. Um, so. and, and you talked about you're using the risk appetite statement as guide rails for the strategic plan to make sure that strategies have been selected for implementation align Correct. and then on resource uh, for budget you're using it to see whether or not the budget decisions that uh, that are being made through that policy document are aligned with it. And on performance management, talking about leading indicators and uh, that a lot of your ERM issues that go into the scorecard come out of both mission and mission support indicators that would be in the performance management system. Well, as I said, we're yep. working uh, closely with uh, our budget people to uh, get to the point where as we develop uh, our, our next mm -hmm. budget uh, we start factoring in sort of strategic initiatives and, and areas where we want to address risk and assess alright how much do we need to right. set aside right. uh, for in, in the budget for for that particular uh, initiative um, and I think Good. you know I've had conversations with our chief financial officer and our, and our deputy CFO uh, and, and we're all kind of agreed that you know this is kind of where we want to get to Right, that's kind of a, right. one of the levels of maturity that we want to reach. Well, Bill, this has been great. I really appreciate you coming on yeah, to, uh, you. To, to speak with our community, and uh, right. sounds like you guys are doing a great job over there, so thanks for coming on. And Paul, is there, is there going to be a link for the appetite statement? Yeah, we'll that put a we'll, link up. Yeah, And that way, when if people mm -hmm. want, and we can maybe stick along, at this right? at the beginning, right, <laughs> they can pull it up, put it on the screen as they listen along, and uh, see these categories and these definitions, which I, I, I think, guys, it's a, it's a great, it's a great document. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you both. Thank you. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in. Check us out at affirm.org. All our podcasts are there. And we'll have many more coming soon, of course. So I hope you enjoyed the show. And until next time, this is Paul Marshall signing off for Wrist Chats with Affirm. Mm -hmm.